If you're enjoying the type of content you get here at Riverside Chats, conversations that go in-depth on art, politics, and everything in between, please consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can find a link in the show notes that allows you to give a recurring or single amount, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is nothing. In which case, ouch, if you think this is a valuable part of your week, then we would appreciate the support so we can continue to give you the quality that you came here for in the first place. Thank you for considering supporting Riverside Chats and enjoy the show. From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Megan Tatey, author of the new book, Super Bloom. I loved this duality of what's actually going on, you know, behind the scenes, what's it, what it's really like to work at a place like this. Um, I love that duality in any sort of setting, you know, whether you're out at a really, you know, romantic dinner and it just seems just so lovely, but in the kitchen, everyone's going crazy and throwing plates. Um, so. I wanted to to kind of pull back the veil and show what else might be happening for people who are then very calmly sauntering into their therapy room and being like, what brings you here today? We're talking about writing, grief, and balancing the heavy with the light in her funny yet poignant novel. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. People are very obsessed with genres. Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is there sci-fi? I remember once when I was a kid, I asked my grandpa if he wanted to go see a movie. And he didn't ask what movie I was talking about, but he asked, are there horses in it? I said, I don't think so. He said, do people get killed in it? I said, maybe. He said, all right, fine, I'll go. So I don't know what genre that is exactly, but when we think about life, it's often difficult. Uh, It's funny. It's scary. It's sweet. Sometimes all within a few hours. And my guest today is Megan Tatey. She has a new book out called Super Bloom, which balances tragedy, humor, and insight on how we move forward and reinvent ourselves through art. The book follows massage therapist Joan Johnston, who's grieving the death of her boyfriend as she works at an iconic Vermont spa, and she finds a way forward through writing. Super Bloom is available now wherever you get books, and here is my conversation with Megan Tatey. Megan Tatey's here talking about Super Bloom, and I, I thought it might be useful for us to start where the book starts. So if you are, if you're ready to go, I'd love for you to read a little bit from the first page, Megan. Yes, I'd love to. And thank you so much for having me. Chapter one, I harbor a secret fantasy to go ape at work. Maybe today's the day. My shift is over and I'm waiting at the reception desk at the Apex Inn and Spa to get my bookings for tomorrow. It's been a doozy. One client rudely took a phone call mid-massage, gabbing about who's getting the Hamptons house and her divorce. Another client kept calling me sweetheart. Heather, the receptionist, is on the phone, forcing me to linger in the spa's tunnel of consumption avocado lotions, chanting bowls, detox teas, ear candles. It's like Gandhi said, renounce and enjoy all these products. An anger boils up in me that no amount of essential oil sniffing can temper. And once again, I think, ape. <laughs> Thank you. I, I wanted to start where the book starts because I think it is a, it's a great tone setter. Um, and the, my first question is actually a very bad one because I, neither of us can say the full word on public radio without it being bleeped. But uh, this word, <laughs> ape, it's so perfect. It sets the tone so well. Uh, how did you come to that specific word? <laughs> That's a really great, great question. And no one's asked me that um, yet. I, you know, this chapter, I've been working on this book for eight years. My, my journey's been long. And so I have tinkered with this chapter over and over again. And though that, you know, those first lines are so essential. And it was definitely something different for a really long time. But I just kept imagining my main character, her name is Joan, wanting to just go bonkers at this spa, just like lose her mind and imagining what that was going to look like when she was just, you know, driven crazy by her demanding clients and and what that might look like. And as I imagined her kind of, you know, knocking over essential oil and throwing, you know, slippers and booing outside of a yoga room, it just looked like a 
frankly. <laughs> so um, that's kind of how I stumbled on that and then just kind of tinkered with that over and over again. But I, I really wanted to, um, I wanted those first couple of, of chapters to just really hit you on the head and, and not let go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that the, the general sentiment of sort of this tension all boiling up at work and you feeling like you need that release, whether it's, you know, going crazy at work or elsewhere. I think that's somewhat relatable to the average person who's ever had a job. And then maybe that crisis of meaning that can come from the work itself or the general traumas of life or the combination of all of that. And so I love the the contrast that you have between the, all this tension with the context of massage therapy, this place of, you know, ostensibly releasing all of that built up tension and energy. Uh, and so the, as far as the, the opening of the book goes to start with that place of relaxation, but this mentality of so much tension, I think is so it's such a fun way to open. And then eventually it kind of gets a little bit heavier. But you said this wasn't the original opening. How, how did you start to figure out this was the right way to, you know, situate the story in this setting? Yeah, I, I really wanted to show this duality of this place, this spot. This, it's a luxury spa in Vermont. And, um, you know, we when you think about a luxury spa, you think of going there to relax. I loved this duality of what's actually going on, you know, behind the scenes, what's it, what it's really like to work at a place like this. Um, I love that duality in any sort of setting, you know, whether you're out at a really you know romantic dinner and it just seems just so lovely but in the kitchen everyone's going crazy and throwing plates um so i wanted to to kind of pull back the veil and show what else might be happening for people who are then very calmly sauntering into their therapy room and being like what brings you here today <laughs> um, so so that was you know that was what i was going for you know over time the the first couple of pages it definitely had my character Joan uh, at first being she was in mid in mid massage with somebody she was working on someone, and she was sort of going through the motions, and she was you know talking about what she was finding in this person's body and their muscles, and um, I I found that there was some humor in that because she was making some kind of some jokes about the person. But I found that that humor was actually a little cringy because she was in, uh, she had more power than the person on the, t on the table and the hierarchy of, of comedy didn't feel right. And it wasn't sitting right with my readers. So I had to start to shift that a little bit and make sure that even as she's, you know, cracking some jokes around her or about the spa or even herself that it's not with someone who is sort of like helpless on her massage table. Um, so, yeah, it just over time, this is this is what it became. It's funny because some authors with the, the research process that goes into a book that they write, whether it's fictional or not, um, they have to put themselves through some degree of the life of the world that they're designing. Like I think about George Orwell. Uh, recently, he, he talked about how he was born into a fairly comfortable life, but he went to live in poverty to then write about poverty. And I, I was wondering for you, did you have to get a lot of massages, nice massages as professional research <laughs> to write a book like this? I wish I wish I could be like, oh, publisher, you, I need to go to, you know, so many spas. I have to write it all off. Um, I, I didn't do that, although um, I did interview a bunch of massage therapists around what their what this you know work is like. And, you know, a lot of people have worked in a variety of settings, whether they've worked for themselves, whether they've worked at a luxury spa, uh, whether they work at a small franchise. So I wanted to really be able to steep this book in um, reality and show what it's really like. Uh, my character, Joan, she doesn't love the profession, but a lot of people really do. This job doesn't suit her body. It doesn't suit her temperament. But for other people, it's just right. So I wanted to show, you know, that it can run the gamut. The idea for this book did come from a visit to a spa, however, and it was a birthday trip that my husband took me on. I went, I live in Massachusetts and I went to Vermont and I was getting a massage from someone and I was like, you know, I don't think she really wants to be here. And I could just tell that she was, you know, a little out to lunch. And rather than being, you know, annoyed or like, you know, uh, 
I just began to wonder what was she thinking about? Uh, where am I was, was I her, her like fifth massage of the day? What was it really like to work at that spa? I began, you know, I have a journalism background and, and I've interviewed, you know, dozens of people. And so it was my journalism mind kicking in, wanting to just regale her with questions. And when the massage was over, I decided I would, I would come across a little bit weird if I tried to then say, what was that like for you? <laughs> uh, so I, I didn't do that, but I, I walked away from that experience with this book idea fully formed in my mind. And that hadn't really happened to me before. I was actually just starting to dip my toe into fiction writing. I had been all journalism and nonfiction. Um, and, and I walked away just thinking, okay, I've got this idea for this massage therapist who's maybe doesn't like this job. What, who is this woman? Why not? What brought her here? And, and then I just started to work from there. Your, your protagonist, Joan, she's dealing with the death of her boyfriend. It's been a couple of years. She's struggling to move on, which makes it sound, I think, a little bit more like a heavy book, if you haven't read it, right, to, to think about the, the grief and the way that might impact the tone based on some of what we've been talking about. So I did want to start with the light and then sort of get us into the, the heavier part of the book. But I imagine for you, there was a process of figuring out the right tone between the humor and the grief and then uh, the, the elements that just sort of feel like real life, which are somewhere between the two. So how did you land on the right tone for the overall story? That's a good question. Well, first of all, I just love my favorite books to read are ones that are both laugh out loud funny and also tender and are making me laugh as much as they're making me cry. I kind of see it as like the salty and the sweet. You know, you're eating an M&M and then a piece of popcorn. Um, and I so I always um, I always want to read books like that. And I knew that I wanted to strike that tone. Uh, I, I think that humor allows us to also then tread into these places that feel heavier on the heart um, and allows us to to look at those things that you know are really central to the human condition we're all going to grieve if we haven't already and um, a lot of us have already been told you know you've been grieving for too long and that that's what happens with joan um, and to sort of get over it so how can i uh, talk about this topic while also keeping people reading and, and laughing and um, moments of levity. And that's what I really wanted to do. And it, it took a lot of tinkering, you know, and it, it took both um, on the humor side. One of the things I worked on with my editor was actually stripping jokes. There were, it was often, you know, I was like a, trying to do a laugh a minute and she was like, okay, you know, yes, you're funny, but let's, um, let's really make sure that the things that we're, in, that we're keeping in here are landing and that we make room for them. And then let's make sure that the things that are really sentimental or, you know, spark some tears are really landing. And so that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of moments there. And then there's time for calibration between the two. So I, I was really just kind of working on that. And again, it just took a, a lot, a long time reworking my manuscript over and over again, rereading it. Uh, I worked with a lot of beta readers, which are, you know, early readers, essentially. And how are things hitting? How are things landing? Um, and I, I, I wanted to show Joan's sorrow and also show a world that was really um, ripe for comedy. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Megan Tatey, author of the new book, Super Bloom, which is available now wherever you get books. What's on your mind this week? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. There's a note that Joan gets about her writing, which is, Joan, take yourself more seriously. It's clear you have talent, but you're not allowing your characters to fully materialize. Sometimes your characters are caricatures of themselves and you hide behind the humor. I'd like to see you balance the slapstick with intimacy. And I thought that line felt almost like a mission statement for the book. Do you think that's fair? That is so fair. And that's just a really astute uh, thing to pick up on. And I actually think, you know, I didn't, I didn't take that word for word, um, but 
one of my early, early readers of the first draft of this did give me some feedback like that. Um, just sort of like, you know, some of these, these people don't feel fully fleshed out. They feel like they're one note. They, they are these, they're just not totally real. Um, and yes, there's all this humor here, but now, now pull up the real life stuff and, and begin to let all the other stuff down. And I think, you know, I think for for a long time, it took me a while as both a woman and a writer to be like, I'm funny. And I want to I want to capitalize on that. And I want to I want to work on that. And then I think I began to take the manuscript too far. So then it was all about reeling it back and slowly kind of pulling back in like the slack line a little bit. Um, and you know, it's just, <laughs> I often think it's like I got an eight year MFA, you know, I learned, I learned along the way how to do it and how to find that, that balance. I, I do think it's interesting that the thread of grief throughout it is really uh, something that, I don't know, I, I guess I don't see it delivered quite this way, where often a story about grief will be very grief heavy. It'll be very much centered on the heavy elements. And I, what what interested me about Super Bloom in particular was the way that you show how grief can kind of strip uh, your patterns of meaning, and then you have to start to put it all back together again. Like, I, I was just thinking, um, it's a little bit different, maybe a little less dramatic. I had a cat die a few months ago. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like for me, you know, like you're just in that moment of feeling that heaviness and feeling that loss, you're sort of like, what, what am I doing this show for? What am I doing this for? Like these things in the yeah. news that used to make me mad all the time. I'm like, I don't know. Does it really matter? But that that is kind of part of grief. And then you're slowly assigning meaning. And maybe it's exactly what it was before. Maybe it's a little bit different. And so for you to do that in this otherwise fairly funny book, I thought was really interesting. And I, you know, I wonder, does, does that come out of your own relationship with grief? Does this book come out of tragedy or is it the, the drama and the narrative sort of balancing act that drew you to that element? When I first started writing the book, the element of grief was, was actually fictional. And I, I really wanted to explore what happens um you know often when we hear about relationships when when a partner passes it's it's that it's many years have gone by they were married for you know 30 years or something like that um so i wanted to give joan i wanted to explore what happens with new love when your you know her boyfriend samuel dies just six months into their courtship and it feels epic they had they are these two quirky people and they have finally found each other and they are so pumped and they you know kind of like that you know they when you know you know and they just knew and their love was just taking off like a rocket and he dies six months into that and what is that like to be holding the bag with all of those emotions with all of that excitement with all the fear even that new love brings um and in her case because it was so new and exciting they also hadn't let everyone else in their lives in and i you know that often happens you're just (laughs) you're just not ready to do that yet so joan doesn't get to have the status of a long-term girlfriend a, a fiance a wife she's not a widow really and what that feels like to not be recognized and not to have the, her her grief recognized and not to have their love story recognized. And I think giving her that, that um, experience, which I'm sorry, Joan, um, also then allowed me to play with the sort of book within a book structure because she wanted to then create this, this fictional world to tell the story that no one really knew, to tell the, to let their love story live on. Um, so, you know, it was, it was very fictional for me. Unfortunately, um, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer last June and she passed away in November. So, you know, it was a four month, very quick battle with pancreatic cancer. And, what became very abstract for me, just imagining what this scenario would be like, has become very real. And I found myself in the very uh, odd and sad predicament of 
you know, talking about a book about grief as I'm very actively grieving. And it's been a really um, bizarre experience. It's It's an incredibly exciting time in a lot of ways. You know, as I said, this, I've worked on this book for years. So my professional dream is coming true and it's colliding a little bit with heartbreak that I didn't expect. So um, when I think about how my grieving experience is similar to Joan's, there is a moment in the novel where she's, you know, she's found out what's happened to Samuel you know, her first instinct is to talk with him about his death and to process it. And I have found myself wanting to do the same thing. And I, you know, I I began to think like, did I get grief right? Because it's so, it feels so different. Um, But in that respect, I really relate to to Joan's instinct to want to talk about the death of someone with the person who's died. Well, and it, it opens up the idea of writing as kind of a coping mechanism, not necessarily an escape, but kind of a, a confrontation and creation in a way to have some degree of power when you're feeling powerless, right? Um, yeah. So that's got to be its own struggle, though, too, because you're, you're writing a, a novel within a novel. And from a stylistic perspective, you're now getting into the weeds of not only how your characters are processing the world, but how they turn that into art. So how, how did you go about those sections where we see the writing that, you're, that Joan is doing? For a long time, those sections were just told to the reader. I didn't actually write them out. Um, I, first of all, didn't have enough confidence in my own ability yet. This was, you know, a while ago. And I, so I, I didn't know if I could tackle a book within a book. That, that sort of structure is really hard. I knew that. And I knew that it's hard enough to hook a reader with one book, let alone another book that starts halfway through your novel, new characters. You know, a lot of times people just don't, you know, they don't want to see new characters. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to start a new project. Um, so I had, I had Joan kind of talking about what she was writing. I got feedback from my writing group and they said, you know, Meg, we want to, we want to see what Joan's writing and, you know, go (laughs) tell any writer to sort of play on the page when they're years into a novel. And they're like, no, (laughs) that's the last thing I want to do. I want to be done with this thing. So I kind of had a tantrum, you know, I kind of picture myself in this scene um, in the movie, wet hot American summer when, Paul Rudd throws the um, his lunch tray across the room and he's like pouting and he has to go pick it up like that. That's kind of what I probably seemed like. But I I di- I went back to my desk and I started to just play with what that might look like and write these you know write a few chapters and I I realized really quickly that I didn't need to write a lot because again my reader doesn't want to write read an entire another book but I needed to do a a couple chapters and I needed to give people a sense of what the, what her style was like. I needed to give them a sense of what the story looked like without them being told. It also, it gave me a tool to avoid using too much backstory about Samuel because frankly, no one wants to read that much about someone who they know has died. You know, it's a bummer. (laughs) Uh, So they don't want to get that invested in that character. But I could give all these memories about Samuel and these things about him and his, you know, little habits. I could give that to a new fictional character that Joan was writing, who is very much alive. And, you know, the reader knows is is um, going toward this this happy ending. So my writing group was right. (laughs) And they always remind me of that. Um, But it did, it took me a while to get there. And I'm, I'm just so glad that I, that I did because it was the right move. I'm so glad that out of that answer, we got a wet, hot American summer reference. (laughs) I love that movie. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, So you've already mentioned this, but you you do have a background with several forms of writing outside of the novel, such as journalism, copywriting. So I I wonder if we go further back, where does your relationship with the written word start as something that was meaningful for you? 
I was always a writer from a very early age. I loved, you know, creating stories and I would hole up in my own bedroom writing little stories. And my grandma got me a typewriter when I was eight and I would peck away at the keys and just write these fantastical stories and bring them out to my mom and be like, look at this. And um, I got to high school and I, I grew up in Bellevue, Nebraska, and um, I went to Bellevue East and I joined the newspaper staff and I just loved it. I fell in love with it right away. I loved the fast paced nature. I loved interviewing people. I love this idea that, you know, everyone has a story to tell and could I draw out the story from different people and could I tell it in a unique way? And I found I just had a knack for it. So then I went to college in Missouri and um, I earned a journalism degree and I wanted to be an investigative reporter. You know, I just wanted to be like, you know, breaking all the, you know, amazing stories. But I graduated at a time when a lot of newspapers were closing because, you know, the models were going online and a lot of papers still didn't know how to contend with that. So there was a lot of scarcity and there was a lot of fear in the journalism world at that time. There were a lot of um, community journalism models popping up, but you know, I was getting paid 10 cents a word, you know, for a lot of these things. And I would be, I would waitress and, or I was working at a YMCA or I was, you know, I did all sorts of jobs after college while I was also freelance writing and um, tracking down different stories and pitching. And I would sit in my car on a lunch break, interviewing someone with my little recorder. And then I would go home and type up the story and pitch it. And I got a lot of rejection um, and, and, you know, placed a lot of things too, but I, I, <laughs> I got a lot of rejection as well. And um, over time I worked, I worked in various um, nonprofits and things like that around journalism and media issues. And then I think about 12 years ago, I started my own business called WordLift, which is a writing and editing business. And I, I just, I really saw that a lot of people, there's just a lot of bad copy out there, you know, people who mean well and they're great at their own job, but they don't know how to message it for their own website or their own brochure. Because of my um, interviewing skills, I could really draw people out and figure out what, what could make this copy sing. So eventually I um, also started writing for alumni publications and just building my business. And I've been running it for 12 years. It's been awesome. I love being my own boss and I've been just honing my craft in that way ever since. And it's also given me a lot of freedom and flexibility to slowly write this book. Along the way, you know, I've been building this business. I have two young kids who are four and seven. So, you know, I was in baby land for a lot of this book and then I was in COVID land. So um, and that's partly why it, it just took so long to get there. Uh, but I feel like I've been really fortunate in that my, my sort of passion and my profession has always been around writing in one form or another. I'm talking with Megan Tatey, author of the new book, Super Blue, which is out now. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. Hi, Riverside Chat listeners. I'm Michael Griffin, and I'm joining this team as a recurring host to bring you conversations with people who shape Omaha. I'm a big fan of culture, advocacy, and comedy. And you can hear my episode from March to get to know me a little better. Thanks to Tom and KIOS for bringing me on board. And I'll talk to you all soon. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of our episodes wherever you get podcasts. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a review. Today I'm talking with Megan Tatey, author of the new book Super Bloom, which follows massage therapist Joan Johnston, who is grieving the death of her boyfriend as she works at an iconic Vermont spa and finds a way forward through writing. The book is available now, and here's the rest of our conversation. 
Was it difficult to let investigative journalism go? Yeah, it was. And I always thought that maybe my first book would be nonfiction. Um, I think over time, I just was really seeing that that was not necessarily going to happen for me. I, I still, I was reading so much fiction, but I was reading a lot of um, literary fiction that I could never see myself writing. It was, it was very, it was great, but I was just like that. I don't think I could ever do anything like that. And I don't imagine myself as a writer, like who me, sort of like what Joan asked of herself. Um, And I think one of the books that broke that open for me was Where'd You Go, Bernadette um, by Maria Simple. And that book that I think that came out in 2012. So it's not that, old but it it was so funny but it was also clever and really well written and had that tender side that I love and I I saw a little bit of myself and my my voice in that and I was like oh maybe maybe this is something I could do and start to sort of turn my attention toward but yeah I mean I I really wanted to be you know breaking all the you know, great stories and, um, and in some ways still do, who knows, maybe I'll get back to it <laughs> or maybe I'll write a character who is, you know, <laughs> did you, did you break some big stories? What, what were some of the exciting ones? No. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> not for any big publication, I was writing for smaller publications, but I did do some really cool things. Um, I think it was in 2005, I was one of the only journalists in the country to, um, there was something called the Immigrant Workers Freedom Ride. And it was freedom rides across the country for um, immigrants' rights. And it was a throwback to the 60s freedom rides. And I was one of the only journalists to ride on the bus for an entire week and tell the stories of people on the bus. And that was just an incredible, incredible experience. I went, I, you know, a lot of this was like kind of self-driven and then I would pitch that, you know, pitch these to publications. I went to Belize and I worked on a farm and I told the story of organic vanilla production and what that, you know, industry is really like and how cutthroat it actually is. And so I love to travel. I loved finding and telling the sort of uncommon story. Um, I was really driven by that. And I, a lot of it also kind of um, had to do with environmentalism and, and taking care of the planet. So there's a tiny piece, a tiny, tiny piece in this um, book about, you know, a super bloom, which is a, a real thing that happens in nature, these wildflower seeds um, blooming in the desert, which is happening right now in California and the timing's wild. Um But there's also this element in the book that, again, goes back to my early days of investigative journalism and social justice and and this piece around workplace rights and making sure that that massage therapists are really being taken care of and that whatever setting they're working in, that, that they are working with good conditions. And as we're all enjoying our massages, um, that we understand what that what that profession is really like and some of the the challenges and the joys that come with it. It's interesting when people who do journalism or write in a nonfiction capacity about these big problems, big issues, you know, how much of that spills over into fiction if they're also writing fiction. Um, when I talked to Kurt Anderson, he was talking about uh, when he switches from fiction mode versus writing about society mode, uh, that it scratches different itches, that he doesn't necessarily feel like he's doing the same thing when he's writing fiction. He's not addressing things the same way. It's satisfying in a very different sort of way. So for you, I mean, the way that you were able to bring some of your very real concerns into this book, was was it a way to address some of the things that you might have been writing about if you were continuing to do journalism? Or did it feel, again, kind of like, no, it's sort of, it's a whole different sort of uh, level of satisfaction and interest and investigation, all, all kind of of its own? 
I think I didn't set out to to write a book that was about workplace justice. You know, I wasn't like, that's this is the way I'll do it. But as I started interviewing people and finding out about, you know, different policies and a, a lack of um, ability for for there to be kind of rules that govern uh, spas in different different um, states and often some of these franchises, how body workers really don't aren't paid very much and there's a lot of turnover, you know, what it was like as I as I talked with people, of course that clicked in me because I I was sort of, you know, <laughs> cut my teeth on that stuff. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, and so if anything, I had to kind of make sure that I didn't overdo that part, that I didn't, you know, just sprinkle that in too much or make it seem like, oh, underneath that, here's here's this this book that is a ha, is, has a cause. Um, I wanted it to feel very real that these are characters who want to keep working at this place and they just want it to be a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, I had to I just had to temper myself because I could go a little <laughs> I could go a little overboard. Um but I didn't set out to do that. That's for sure. Well, it's, yeah, it's kind of a like you're wherever you go, there you are. The investigative journalist in you does come out, even if you're writing a, a novel, right? That's true. Uh, and you know, books are kind of in this weird spot too. I feel like uh, you know we talked about journalism being in a, a situation where it lost a lot of its cultural power, its cultural ability to uh, sort of be the the behemoth that it was at some point in American culture. And so, you know, books now are, you know, there's obviously still around. There's a lot of popular books. There's a lot of people who would prefer the the passivity, I think, of, you know, streaming whatever's on. It's hard to get people to go to movies. We're seeing some weird shifts, I think, in entertainment and media. Uh, why, why write a novel in today's landscape? That's a good question. Well, <laughs> when I first started writing this, I think partly it was just to see if I could. You know, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily thinking I was going to get it published. Um, but as I began sort of wading into this territory, I found that I just loved it. And then I found that I couldn't not do it. Um, and I'm so, I'm so glad that I've, that I've discovered this, this love of fiction writing. I find that my, I, I hear a lot of, a lot of other writers sort of say, it's a slog, you know, like I get to the page and I do it, but it's a slog. And for me, I often find like normal life a bit of a slog, but the writing is a joy. And I, I pine to get back to the page. I, I just don't have enough time for it. I wish I had more. Um, so, so I began to, to find that my best days, I'm, I'm a better partner to my husband. I'm a better a mom, a friend, you know, person in the world, even when I've written 15 minutes of my book and Paw Patrol's on in the background, <laughs> um, because I'm not always fortunate to be able to get to my, my studio space. Um, so I think, I think for me, I suddenly just found like I couldn't not do it. And, and now I'm working on my second book, which is very exciting. I, I sold this book to a new a new imprint called Zibby Books. And while a lot of publishing companies are going through a lot of upheaval and change, this company came out of um, this, this woman, Zibby Owens, starting a podcast that she, and she interviewed a ton of authors for, for several years and just hearing how difficult the industry is and how hard it is to be an author. And decided she really wanted to um, start an imprint that was very um, favorable to authors and transparent and gave them kind of a dreamlike experience. And they, they only publish 12 books a year. So it's each author gets a lot of exposure and you kind of feel like you're the lead title. You know, if I was at a different, bigger imprint, I might just be a mid-level and, and, no one would really hear from me. So it's been a really incredible experience and they're trying to be really innovative. They're throwing a lot at the wall. Uh, it's been fun to watch. This is, I'm, I think their 
fourth book. They just started publishing. And it's been a really incredible thing to be on the ground level and to, to watch what they're trying to do and build, you know, build this community around books and novels, novels and memoir. So you, you sort of mentioned in there that your it sounds like your writing process might have to shift just based on your life at any given moment or hour. Um, but some people have very strict settings where they say, I have to be in this room. I need it to be silent. I need to write you know, this many words every day. What, what is your writing process like? I feel like before I had kids, I would have said that. <laughs> and I would have been like, I need absolute silence and I need my dark chocolate and my, you know, but now um, I, I, I think partly because of the, the pandemic, you know, I was really trying to finish this book right when the pandemic hit March of 2020. And suddenly my husband and I were home with two little ones who were really demanding and not much time for ourselves. And yeah, I would just be running upstairs to my laptop, jotting down a couple of sentences here and there, hearing Coco Melon, you know, wheels on the bus, like, oh my God, while I get this out. Um, I tried waking up at 5 a.m. They woke up at 5 a.m. Like they just knew I was up, so that didn't work. So I've just had to be really flexible and honestly, that has been a gift because now I find that I can sink very quickly into my story. I don't have to have a very specific setup or set of rules for that to happen. Um, I can really just sink into the story, whether it's in my very lovely, quiet studio or in my upstairs office while the kids are yelling at each other. <laughs> um, and they're just walking in like, mom, it's the eighth time I've called you because I'm just, I'm in my, my own little story. So yeah, I've just had to, to roll with it. And hopefully as time goes on, I'll have more of that quiet space for myself. I think the biggest thing that I um, wish I had more of is just time to think the quiet time of thinking, because I, I, you know, so much of the book, the novel requires that and your character arcs and hashing out something that's not working. I hike every day with my dog. And when I can turn off my podcast, if I'm listening to a podcast or, you know, audiobook, if I can turn that off and just let my brain start working. I, I get a lot done on those hikes. And I, I will just dictate into my phone and often crack something that I haven't been able to figure out for a while. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Megan Tatey, author of the new book, Super Bloom. What's on your mind this week? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Do you think it's generally good advice for writers to be maybe to push themselves outside of the precious writing conditions and to kind of embrace that life's going to be busy and finding ways to adapt to that is generally going to lead to more productivity than assuming you need to be in this sort of magical headspace that only the right conditions can get you in? Oh, man, I don't know. I mean, it's different for every writer. I think I think saying, you know, you need to close your door, be, be behind a locked door is a really privileged position to, to be in. And that just was something that I couldn't do. Um, at the same time, what I think was really important for me and for my family and for my kids to see is a mom um, committing really fiercely to a writing practice and to a dream. And to my husband being, you know, like fully on board of that. My kids, I mean, my kids are just the best. They you know, they, they first of all think every book is a zippy book. You know, they, they're so proud of me now because they've seen, you know, they're often like, still, you're, you're still, you know, you're still working on that or you're still doing this. But they've seen me very actively working on this. They've seen me very emotional. They've seen me cry over rejection. Um, I think even two weeks before I got the offer from Zibby Books, I was crying in my kitchen, you know, just like to my husband, like, I, I don't know, is this ever going to happen? What am I going to do? And 
my kids, I think I put this, you know, in my acknowledgments, my kids started saying, we're going to kick anybody's head in who doesn't like mom's book. Um, because they saw the work. And had I been behind a closed door and said, no one allowed or, you know, something like that, then they wouldn't have seen, they wouldn't have seen it. And while I'll take some extra hours on the weekends and come to my studio, I'm also really glad that they saw what it takes to do anything, to really apply yourself for anything. Um, I think it's been really cool. And they're so, so pumped for me. So I know I've, I've talked to a lot of authors in the last few years who were not able to do much of a, a press release, press tour uh, for their books because of the pandemic. And so what they maybe thought was going to be a cross-country experience was just sort of sitting in front of the computer for a while. Um, are, are you able to do events and more specifically uh, with your Nebraska ties, are you able to do any in or around Nebraska? Yes, I have a big tour planned, which is really, really exciting. Um, <laughs> and that's a whole that's a whole new set of skills to be learning, by the way, as someone who is, you know, a little bit shy and kind of likes to just do my writing. Now I have to be very public facing and um, <laughs> go, you know, command a room. I that's very new for me. I Unfortunately, I'm not coming to Nebraska. I wish I was. I, I haven't been back in, in quite some time. My dad lives in Colorado, so I'll be going there. Um, I'll be doing one uh, book event in Colorado Springs, and then one, he lives in La Vida, Colorado, so we'll be doing one there. And we also, there's a tiny little Colorado element in the book, so we wanted to make sure that we got there. Um, but I, I haven't been able to bring my kids back to Nebraska, and I, I really hope to. And I have so many friends still who are just being so supportive of me and the book and on Facebook. Just they're incredible, and they're still in Nebraska or still in the Midwest. And I just I hope that maybe like come fall or there'll be like a second wing, you know, sec second leg of this tour that I could do the Midwest because that would be really amazing and I think pretty emotional. Emotional because of the homecoming element? Yeah, yeah. And I haven't, you know, I I just haven't been back in so long. And I think it will be emotional to see people who knew me from my newspaper staff days in high school or have just been cheering me along as they've seen this this come up or sending me just the, the kindest notes. Um, and to bring my kids back to where I grew up, I just think it'll be really lovely. Well, I hope you do get to do something in Nebraska. Uh, we'd love to have you. Um, I'll speak as all for all Nebraskans on that. Um, and you, you mentioned you, you are working on your next book, which I believe is called uh, Champions for Breakfast. Uh, how, how's that one yes. going? It's going well. I'm really excited about it. So I've already um, sold that to Zibby Books as well, which is such a dream that this is, you know, that now I get to write my second novel. It's a totally different book. You know, the quick and dirty of that is it's, two um, alpine ski champions, one a former Olympian, then their mom and daughter. And um, they've been estranged for years. And they are in a Swiss alpine village called Zermatt. And they get stuck there when an avalanche socks in their town. And the only place to stay is a youth hostel. <laughs> and they've got to work their stuff out um, until the avalanche is cleared. So that's been a really fun one. And of course, uh, with my journalism background, I have been having a blast interviewing former Olympians and former elite athletes around what it's like to devote so much of your life and to really sacrifice a lot in your life to get somewhere and then to have your career over by about 30, you know, just 34, maybe a little younger, a little older, depending on the sport. Um, Sometimes you have glory and it's been amazing. Sometimes you have glory and it's awful. Um, sometimes you you tried so hard and you didn't, you know, you didn't quote unquote, you know, win the medals you had hoped for. So I've been um, interviewing people around what that was like. I also took this avalanche idea from the headlines. It, it actually happened in 2018 that an avalanche socked in Zermatt for I think it was five days and 13,000 tourists were um, stranded there. So I've been interviewing 
you know, the helicopter operators? What was it like to airlift people out when you could only take 500 people a day? What, you know, I talked with the tourism director of the, of the village. What was it like to announce to everyone, oh, hey, you're stuck here. Um, so I've been having a really great time in that regard, just learning more about um, that village and about skiing and about being an elite athlete. So that's been really fun. And I think um, I'm supposed to turn in a pretty messy first draft to my editor in a few weeks and I'm, I'm pretty close. So <laughs> fingers well, crossed. <laughs> is this one extending the, the sort of tonal approach to, uh, that you had in super bloom that along with Jones note is something along the lines of balancing slapstick with intimacy? Yes, yes, for sure. And it has a very quirky cast of characters who are also stuck at the hostel. Um, so there's some really fun stuff there, but there's also, there's also, you know, a mom and daughter who are working through a lot of old wounds and trying to figure out their path forward together. That, again, <laughs> has been a really interesting thing to um, write in the wake of losing my own mom. You know, suddenly, not only am I talking about a novel about grief, and now I'm writing a novel about a mom and daughter. So it has been a real, um, a real interesting moment in in fiction and you know Joan as we talked about in the very beginning Joan sort of writes her way through grief and now oddly I'm sort of doing that with this second novel <laughs> about a mom and daughter it's a very meta thing that seems to be happening in my world right now um, so yeah I I I don't totally know how to explain it, but I'm enjoying the writing process immensely. It's the first time I've ever written under contract, and that's a whole new thing. You know, writing under a deadline has its challenges. It's also incredible to have an editor to bounce things off of and not write myself into a corner. So, yeah, I'm feeling really, really excited about, you know, I set this as a goal. I want to, I want to be a novelist and now it's happening and it feels pretty cool. I appreciate getting the chance to sort of understand your process, how these books came to be, how some of your uh, concerns about life make their way into your fiction. And before I do let you go, is there any place you want to uh, tell my, my listeners to go, maybe somewhere where they can follow any updates on your work or find any of your previous work? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at, at Meg Tady, or you can um, go to my website, which is MeganTady.com. Well, Megan, it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I really appreciate getting to read your book. I'm looking forward to the next one. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Riverside Chance is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.